0: You will open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5 in just a moment. Again, the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 17, uh, we're going to be reading uh, and considering this morning verses 1 through 5. Uh, Back uh, during the uh, first Sundays of October, uh, we hit the pause button uh, on our time uh, of study. Uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke our expositional uh, series uh, we did uh, some things that I thought were important uh, uh, for our time. Uh, we did a, a reformation uh, celebration series looking at those five solas then we moved uh, into uh, uh, some sermons uh, related to the uh, the issues surrounding Christmas, namely the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ and then we did uh, uh, an initial series for twenty twenty two we called Uh, Renew 22 just calling us back to some particular emphasis and now is the time uh, to return to what I think uh, should provide the the bulk of the diet uh, of the uh, preach for the preaching uh, to God's people namely just uh, simply taking books of the Bible and uh, preaching through those books. Uh, uh, We uh, do not desire to, to skip, it, skip issues and choose pet issues. Uh, we, we want to tackle things as they come to us uh, from the Word of God. And so uh, uh, we preach uh, uh, straight through books of the Bible on, on many occasions. And so uh, we return again uh, today uh, somewhat well into uh, this uh, particular book uh, there in chapter 17. Now, if, if I were forced uh, to identify uh, those who have influenced me biblically, the- theologically, uh, I'm often dropping uh, the names of this particular influence, that particular uh, influences. Uh, one person that I would have to cite, that I uh, came in contact with his writing. Uh, very, as a very young man, early in my adult life, uh, that man would be the late Louis Grizzard. Now, for you young folks, that means nothing. You'll have to Google that name. But St. Louis uh, was uh, fond of uh, riffing on preachers, uh, and at one point he said, you know, uh, preaching ain't that hard. You got that big old book to go by. And uh, he actually said that about the time that I was licensed to gospel ministry, and I thought, you know what, you're a lifelong Methodist, bless your heart, but I think you're right about that one. And then, maybe a sequent, second influence of equal importance, not the late, but the immortal, Barney Fife. Uh, upon leaving uh, Mayberry All Souls Church, on one Sunday morning, commented to the good reverends Tucker and Breen, Yes, sir! That's one subject you just can't talk enough about. Sin. Upon which Andy grabbed him and jerked him out of the way and rebuked him severely. So, uh, for those of you that got those, those were attempts at being a bit humorous, uh, but they make a very important point very serious point, that we are to be a people who constantly are hearing from or are reading from or studying from or forming our life by that big old book, the Word of God. One of my early pet phrases 18 years ago, 18 plus years ago, was my desire was to cultivate a Word-centered church. Now, in more recent years, I have used that term, and I think it was misunderstood, and I had to explain uh, what I meant. And and what I do not mean is I just want to give you a whole lot of information uh, from the Bible uh, so that you may impress uh, your friends and embarrass your enemies uh, by that knowledge. My point is is that we are to be a Jesus, a Christ, a gospel-centered church. And if we do that, apart from the centrality of the Word of God, the Jesus that we purport to claim, the Jesus we purport to worship, will actually become an idol. Any formation or concept of Jesus Christ that is not rooted in the revelation, and the testimony of the Word of God, by definition, is an idol. So we are word Centered and word focused for the sake, for the necessity of indeed being Christ focused. And so it is necessary if we would be word centered, Christ saturated, gospel permeated, that we speak to the reality of sin. Jesus spoke often of that reality. And in fact, I would submit to you that the gospel makes no sense whatsoever except for the fact that the gospel necessitates the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, in thinking about that this week, I'm going to flip that just a little bit. It is the necessity of of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that actually prompted sin because God chose to allow sin into the realm for the the sake of displaying the fullest testimony to His glory in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God chose to make Himself fully known all the way from His holy and righteous wrath to His infinitely glorious Mercy and grace through the backdrop, the necessary backdrop of human sin. it's against this stark and dark background that we are stunned rightly and consistently so by the brilliance of the glory of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us look this morning at these five verses, and I've chosen to make uh, two sermons out of this. And uh, let us understand that that kind of at the center of of the text, the the driving issue as it pertains to, to sin was a word to these disciples, and it is a word to us in 2022 in Clay, Alabama. Namely, to pay attention... To yourselves. Read with me, if you will, beginning in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Pray with me this morning. Father, once again, as the disciples expressed and surely prayed so long ago, this is our prayer. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I believe. Now help my unbelief. Would your spirit so work today? Would your word be explained with such clarity? that those great goals would be accomplished in all of those who know You. And Lord, for those who, as they sit, as they listen in these moments, that do not know You, God, I pray that Your Word would be heard, that Your Spirit would work, that You would cause them to repent and believe, to look unto our Savior and be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the interesting things, and I surveyed probably six or eight commentaries uh, this week regarding uh, the text, and uh, several weeks back I began to to look and to uh, try to determine now where did we leave off and where do I need to pick up and how is it that I enter back in uh, to this particular uh, series. And uh, one of the interesting things is some commentators see uh, a kind of a thematic thread uh, that, that runs through uh, Luke included here, and he's got a very Kind of pointed purpose for the inclusion of the material that we find in chapter 17, and uh, some some other commentators find it a, a bit abrupt that it's kind of an injected topical arrangement of a number of uh, of important issues. None of them are saying anything that is denying inerrancy or anything like that. But but I think as is usually the case, uh, what uh, Luke has previously said is uh, intimately. Tied to what he is going to say and then ultimately what he's about to say that I think they're threads that we can pick up that show us how he's working uh, together uh, the, the particular details uh, of the life, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you'll remember when we began and we've alluded to this a number of times that, that Luke's stated purpose is that through engaging in a thorough investigation which would include interviews with various eyewitnesses to life and to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would write an orderly account of, uh, of that life, of the life of Jesus Christ, with a view towards explaining the meaning of his person and work. That is, Luke's purpose is to communicate the essential truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ by and through the historical reality of the of the details of the, the words and the deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it fits into the entirety of the narrative of the Bible as being given for the purpose of presenting Jesus Christ as singularly the Son of God sent into our world uh, to die for our sin. And so he's, he's uh, uh, very attentive to achieving um, clarity and accuracy and simplicity through his, uh, his, his structures and his arrangement uh, so that, that we would have the ability to assimilate uh, his, his truth. He, he's got a plan. He, he would make a, a good teacher. He understands that organization and structure are very necessary components too good teaching okay and so we come here to this particular uh, structure and, and one of the ways that uh, Luke structures the book and uh, maybe calls to mind previous sections and, and just kind of uh, uh, brings us out of our uh, uh, reading lethargy uh, you know I know how you read sometimes you know you're turning the pages and you're daydreaming okay and, and so uh, transitioning from this uh, uh, previous discussion uh, that included this, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, Luke notes that Jesus does what? And he said to his disciples. Again, he begins to speak to the disciples. Now, sometimes it says, and he said to the crowd. and Sometimes it says, and he was speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, typically when it says that, He is noting that, okay, he is speaking with a specific intent reference to this particular group. But he's also speaking many times within earshot of the other groups. In other words, I'm speaking to this group, but I want this group to to hear what I'm saying because uh, there's a way that what I'm saying specifically to them is important, is pertinent, and it's applicable to you. And I think that's the case here as we get into what Jesus is saying. Is, yeah, okay, I, I'm particularly interested and I, I, I sense the great need of saying something fairly pointed uh, to you disciples. But make no mistake about it, the crowds and particularly the Pharisees and the scribes need to hear uh, this uh, particular uh, warning. And so Jesus just set forth a, a, a particular warning and we see some, some similar warnings uh, uh, sprinkled uh, throughout the New Testament, a very similar account as we read this morning from Matthew 18 and something similar in uh, Mark chapter 9, but they're not exact. Most likely Jesus kind of mixed and matched and used the metaphors and, uh, in different contexts uh, got this particular message across in different ways with different nuances at different times throughout the course of, of his ministry. But Jesus was warning those first disciples, and hear me, he is warning you who are hearing me today, sitting here in this room or listening uh, on our live stream, he is warning us in regards to the danger of sin, he is warning those who are believe, or, are believing, they're saved, they are forgiven, their sins are forgiven. He is saying that you must indeed be careful as well. He says that temptations are, are, they're sure to come. Uh, they're as sure as the, uh, the cliche goes as death and, and taxes. And not only is he warning about, okay, be careful that you don't sin. The more pointed warning is you be careful that you do not become the source or the cause or the instrument of the temptation that would come to others, namely little ones, as he calls them here. We'll talk more about that. But don't be the, uh, the, the source of their temptation, of their stumbling. And, and, and that language there, there in verse seventeen one, the, the word temptation it's a word that you may kind of recognize an English word. The Greek is scandala, seems to be related to our word for scandal, and and it it literally could be translated as an ensnarement or a trap. Now again, I'll probably date myself a bit, but some of you uh, older heads here probably at one time used to build what we called a rabbit box or a rabbit trap, and what it was was a kind of a long, usually wood tube that had a way, a triggering mechanism. And when the animal bumped that trigger, it closed the door, ensnaring the animal. And there are all kinds of different ways you can make snaps and trares, snares to uh, to catch wildlife. And so that is kind of the picture here. Don't be the one that when people interact with you, they bump up against you and they trigger and entrap themselves in sin because of, your words, your deeds, your attitude, your actions. And so be careful about that. And, and in context, particularly be careful when you're aware of your brothers or your sisters sinning or being in, in, in sin. That that is a particular type of danger. And so pay attention to yourselves that you're not the source or the cause of of uh, a little one falling. And so, that sounds very simplistic, very straightforward, but it seems to be one of those things that the disciples, kind of like when Jesus taught on divorce and remarriage, hey, it's just better we don't marry, isn't it? That's tough. Or Or maybe when he was, Speaking as recorded in John six, and the disciples go, wait a minute, this this is tough stuff, and a whole bunch of them left, and 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 so uh, you know Peter's kind of fumble stumbling around as he usually does, and he says, well, where else are we going to go? We're stuck, and 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 and, and at various places we 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 see this like, God Jesus, that's tough. You're going to have to increase our faith if. If we're going to live in a way that consistently models what the behavior, the attitude, the actions that you desire, you must increase our faith. Now remember, I've made this case for several years, and this is not an original thought. Uh, To me, it comes from the title of a uh, John Piper book, Engaging Unbelief. And I'd I'd really never thought about it this, this way. But always remember, each In every sin, every one of them, without exception, is rooted in unbelief. You choose to believe the lie of sin and you choose to believe or disbelieve the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. You choose to persist in unbelief in your attitude, your action, and your behavior. And so, again, So the issue is always what? Growing in our faith. Growing in our trust. Knowing that no matter how difficult a path, the path of obedience is, it is the path of faith. It is the path of faithfulness. It is the path of being blessed by Almighty God. It is the path that both benefits ourselves or myself, if we say it that way, And it is the path that benefits others. We got into this just a little bit Wednesday night in in our Bible study. And I've said this many times. But the, the most certain way to steal your peace, your contentment, your joy, is to engage in unbelief or to sin. Okay? The, the, the surest way to, 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 to have yourself descend into the depths of, uh, of, of depression and, and angst and, and, and anger and all these other things is to what? To persist with sinful attitudes and sinful actions. So uh, let's look at this uh, this morning and beginning there in verse 1, uh, the, the reality of sin I, I doubt very seriously that anyone here today would say, well, I just don't believe sin exists. It's not really a thing. Well, we know that it is uh, really a thing. And, 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 and occasion, occasionally people will ask, well, why does God allow sin? Now, the popular answer, and it may say something, but it's incomplete at best and wrong at worst. Well, why did God allow sin? Because he's required to give men a choice. God is not required to do anything other than act in a way that is consistent with his character, which is the only way God can act. But that that ultimately, we touched on it a, a minute ago, that God created a world in which sin was not only a possibility, but God is omniscient, and he is omnipotent. It was a certainty sin was a certainty he created these beings who would rebel against him with the certain knowledge they would rebel choosing that this was the best possible course of action for the holy God to act to create those who would become rebels for the sake of rebe- revealing himself fully as one who is wrathful toward sin and will righteously justice and the one who is merciful as accomplished by the grace of God on the cross at Calvary. And so sin exists for a purpose. We can never... No, no, please, don't, don't mishear me. Somebody once said, you'll have to tell me who said this, that communication is a difficult thing. And then I challenge you to go home and talk to your wives. Some of you may... That, y'all remember that? So don't mishear me here. Hear me, Hear me very, very clearly. God did not cause the angels nor Adam to fall into sin. He is not to be blamed as much as it was a part of the certain realities of that which he ordained for time and all the way into eternity. Now, you can tease that out all you want to, uh, but that that is the reality. God God is sovereign over all things, including how and when centered the realm and how far it goes as long as the realm exists, okay? For the sake of revealing His glory. And so in origin, again, we get into that that how business and so forth. How in a perfect order would God choose to create, first of all, one we remember as Lucifer, and how it is that... Uh, presumably, seemingly, from the little bit we have in Scripture as recorded in Isaiah and Ezekiel and possibly Jude 6, that uh, sin of coveting and pride became the, the source of attempting uh, Lucifer uh, to overthrow uh, God as he was upon his throne for him to, to be God. And because of that, uh, God cast him out Why he chose to allow him access uh, to the pinnacle of the earthly creation, namely the image bearers, uh, Adam and Eve. Again, within the wisdom of God, he chose that it, be, that it was a wise course that sin be that possibility and be delivered uh, as a temptation in the person of the serpent, the, that fallen angel, uh, Lucifer. So we may not understand fully how it came to be originally in, in heaven. I think we get some sense of, of the how there. But Genesis 3 gives us, I think, spectacular clarity as to how it became the reality for the world, uh, how man became a fallen creature, how sin entered his experience, his realm, became that which uh, defined uh, his existence and his status. And it's because of that initial rebellion that all men are corrupt and they're rightly and justly under the condemnation of of God, And so there's simply this reality of sin. We can see its origin. What is sin? And uh, sin goes beyond just the things that prick your conscience. Okay? Uh, some people just, you know, the old cliche from my childhood, let your conscience be your guide. No, let me tell you. It may be helpful sometimes, but it may be misleading sometimes. Your conscience is not an infallible guide as to what you should do or what you shouldn't do. I'm glad we have a conscience. It functions for a certain uh, purpose. But the reliable guide is what? The Word of God as illuminated by God's indwelling Holy Spirit. And so we can simply define sin, and, and that's where we want to kind of begin. Rebellion is again uh, our sin is rebellion against God a violation of his law it is an offense to his very character okay because of who God is and what he has done in creating particularly image bearers for us to refuse to accede to his wisdom and his authority is the act of cosmic treason okay so we can say it that way, and it's, and it's interesting, and this was just a very, very quick survey, not, not in any way kind of an exhausted, exhaustive word study, but there are at least nine words, and I would even suggest there's other words when you start talking about specific types of sins, but, the, but there are nine words in the New Testament, that, or at least nine words, that, that speak to the realities of, of sin. There, there is the, the word uh, hamatea, which has to do with missing the mark of there being a standard, and we don't, we don't hit that standard in the bullseye. There's uh, uh, paratoma, or a, a paraptoma, uh, which is a deviation or an offense, a trespass or a fall. Uh, adikia has to do with unrighteousness. Anomia has to do with lawlessness. Asebia, uh, impurity, parabasis, transgression, paneria, depravity, evil, epithemia, lust, apatheia, disobedience. I mean, you can just see a whole wide range of, of nuances uh, to what uh, sin is. I would include myself in this statement, and we each have at least a master's degree in each of those nine disciplines and more. Thank you, thank you. That was a little weak, but thank you. Thank you just a second. But we all have graduate degrees in the how-tos to sin. And we know that the Bible defines very succinctly and uh, many times in in many ways, there is a just uh, punishment for sin. Stated as clearly in Romans 6.12 as anywhere else that the wages of sin is death. But what? Again, dark background, stark. Just want you to get this, the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And By way of contrast, we see the, the great desperation of sin and sinfulness and sinners and we see the great grace of the glory of God in Christ in His gospel. And so, by necessity, we must speak of sin and punishment. And again, if there's not sin and if there's not a punishment for sin, there is no gospel because, again, part and parcel of the gospel is Jesus Christ did what? He was punished for our sin. God's justice was carried out in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the good news for the believer is that we have been forgiven by God because of Christ. through faith, and as I often emphasize, because many mornings I stand up here and you don't look like you believe this. You know what that means? It means you don't look very happy out there, okay? But I'm gonna give you some really good news today. And I'll just raise my hand. If you're a Christian, you know, okay, raise your hand. You don't have to, I'm just I'm doing it for you representatively. God has, and God will forgive your sins. Did y'all hear that? Did I, I, I got a really weak amen. I appreciate that. I mean, baby, uh, it, 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 was, it, was, it was down there, you know. On the, but he does. And we need to always remember that. And I'm thankful. And you know what? Every day I'm reminded of how thankful I should be that God forgives sin. He, let me tell you, I, I was, some, he forgives the sin of your preacher. Y'all didn't know that, did well, Y'all didn't even know I sinned. And I I know that makes it tough on you. I realize that. I know it makes it tough on you. But he forgives the sins. So it is forgiven by God. Defeated at the cross. We are redeemed. Our sins are atoned for. It is forgiven. It is removed as far as the east is from the west. All of these great statements that are gospel statements. But if you are in an unbelieving state, you need to know that right now, you're under condemnation, and the wrath of God, now it may feel like a bit of a trickle, or it may feel like an avalanche, but you're actually under the wrath of God as I speak to you right this moment. As every unbeliever is, you are under the very wrath of God, and there will be a day, now we can all whine and bellyache and bemoan uh, the, the current justice system. I, I read an interesting series of articles this week, There's a small community out on I-22 that evidently has literally made bank on kind of trumped up traffic charges. And it's got the attention of the state and all of this. But let me tell you something. There will be no need on the day of judgment for God to trump up charges against you. The accurate testimony and record of every offense, of every transgression of God's law will be revealed and you will be rightly and justly condemned. And I believe as you bow the knee in confessing the Lordship of Christ, you will say, and you are justly and rightly condemning me for my sin." And I am getting exactly what I deserve. So, for the unbeliever, sin is that which for which they will be judged. And for the believer, even though we, we rightly rejoice, rightly rejoice. And, and, and I think in many times in my ministry and certainly in just my life, I've become sin-centered, sin-paralyzed sin-obsessed rather than gospel-empowered and gospel-saturated and gospel-empowered. But still it remains. Sin is a problematic enemy. We should rest and rejoice in the certainty of forgiveness. But as we often say, every major writer of the New Testament has a warning about false prophets, false prophecies, and all of that type of thing. I think we could also say they all warn us about the realities of sin in the life of the believer. As already stated, sin steals our peace, our joy. It it destroys our fellowship with other Christians. Do you know why you're at odds with someone that is a brother and sister in Christ? I, I, now, this I got a Ph.D. in this. Okay. So you need to listen to me, because I'm really going This is heavyweight stuff. But the reason that you struggle in your relationships with others is sin. Okay? Now, maybe, probably both of you, or all, you know, maybe a big group, maybe all of you. But sin is always at its root. And sin, not only will it steal your joy, it will drive you to the depths of despair. It harms our witness. It dishonors Christ. It brings harm uh, to others. Now, again, you sit there and say, yeah, there's quite a few people. In fact, if I sin, I'd love it for it to bring harm to them. You don't get to pick and choose who gets hurt by your sin. Those that you love will likely be caught up in the ripple effects of your rebellion. So, again, there's a reality to sin second thing there there's a, a certainty of temptation. It's an interesting way that uh, this bit in verse one is phrased temptations to sin are, are sure to come in the, in the Greek it's kind of what we in English call double negatives it's, it is it is not possible for them not to come okay It's kind of the way that it's kind of a you know coming into English it's a bit awkward, but again, he's just saying there that temptations are 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 coming. Uh, to you the, these traps these snares along your way are always going to be present as long as you're in this world and so they will come because there's really three great problems two external to us one internal temptations are sure to come because it's the nature of the world and its system secondly it It's the nature of the ruler of this world, namely Satan. But here's the real tragedy. Even those of us who have been born again, who are regenerate, who are indwelled with the Spirit of God, and I don't want to get into the debate of exactly what it is, but sin remains as an indwelling problem for the believer. Okay? And I think we all know that. I mean, we can nod our heads and say, yes, yes. I struggle with sin. We're, we live in a world deeply marred and scarred by sin and Satan. All of the created order, especially the pinnacle of the created order, namely God's image bearers, human beings, we have been defiled by Adam's succumbing to Satan's temptation. And therefore, we have rebelled against God. We have plunged all men into sin. So... Through Adam's sin, the cosmos, the entirety of the created order, fell. The fall is characterized not entirely but at least representatively by disease and disaster and death. Because all men are corrupt in their natures because of the fall, because of this rebellion of Adam, they are naturally aligned with the principles and the powers that define and rule this dark age. That's why I made the, con- the, the comment. Any institution that is of this world is permeated with evil. You should hear their messaging with great discernment. Now, we can, we can have, just for example, the government. We can have good government that reflects uh, godly principles and values. Or we can have what? Very poor government that actually is in opposition to God. And so, uh, so everything has been tainted by the great realities of sin, and we are naturally aligned with those dark powers. Men misuse God's gifts, and they weave together systems and institutions and cultures that afflict human beings. They oppose God. And, and, and kind of the, the classic, at least kind of initial biblical p- picture, is remember uh, the gathering post-flood on the plains of Shinar okay guys, we want to be notorious, we want to be remembered, we want there to be a name for ourselves long after we we are gone, we want a monument that when people look at it, unlike the monuments that God instructed the Hebrews to make as they moved into the promised land, not look at these and see the great thing that God did for you there, and again, not not what y'all did as great things, but what God did that Babel generation said, let us build a testimony so that all men may be awed to our greatness. Now folks, that that really summarizes the world system. That is, let us, by our own endeavors, according to our own agendas, let us construct that which gives testimony to our greatness and our autonomy. Let us redesign even morality So that it will give testimony to our insight and wisdom and greatness. So, the world is defined as being under the reign of Satan. Its design is always opposed to God. It afflicts God's people while keeping the unbelieving world under its influence and within its domain. And so I think you see there in your outline several kind of references that I've woven together. 1 John 2.15, 1 John 4, 1-6, Ephesians 6-10. through 10. Just real quickly kind of in summary. So we're not to love the world. We're not to love the system that is flourishing under the regime of Satan that stands in opposition to God and advances corruption and lies. And again if you can't see that going on in in every cultural institution you're blind you're deaf you're you're simply not paying attention to the messages that are being sent out and so we're to recognize that all of these things are temporary now we live for that which is what eternal that is lasting and and again By faith, we look look, at at that which looks fairly frail and and, and in peril right now. uh, Brad mentioned in his prayer uh, those in Canada that a couple of weeks ago a law went on the book that will criminalize biblical approaches, biblical proclamation in, in terms of the truth regarding human sexuality. Now, I've said that, as I've mentioned that a number of times, it's already here. The city council of West Lafayette, Indiana, I mean, that ain't too far, it's not the Bible Belt, but it ain't too too far, it might be the suspenders of the Bible Belt or something like that. But they have considered, they haven't passed, but they have considered a law that will make it a, a criminal offense punishable by a $1,000 a day fine. For those that counsel biblically regarding human sexuality. Do you see where we are? And there are probably books, there's probably laws on uh, city books and county books all across the country already. Now, what, now what I'm saying is, we kind of go, wow, mm, that's, that's scary. And we look at the church and we think, oh, it's, it's frail and it, it, it's not robust. Can it stand the onslaught? Yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I, not me, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It, it, Again, the gates of hell may consume this building and us, but the gospel and the people of the gospel will endure to the day that he returns. Are you going to believe and stand with and for that which is eternal or are you going to embrace that which is certain to pass away? And so we're to be aware of what is standing in opposition to God by its very core values and by its design. You know, people ask me a lot of questions about a lot of things, and it, it, it's, it's typically a pleasure. Well, let me let me look at, at this, this ministry, this this book, this song, this that or or the other. Uh, and so many times I will go to their statement of faith now. Uh, some of these cats are astute enough that's very bland. And you go, well, there's really nothing in their statement of faith it's in how they play all of these, all of these uh, uh, things out. But, but we need to be able to look at things and, and discern whether it's in their foundational concepts. I mean, we've got those that, that are talking all about justice or equality or different things. That's good. But you go look at what essentially amounts to their statement of faith and they will tell you, you know, we're here to destroy the patriarchy, we're here to destroy the family, we're here to do this, that, and the other. You need to know those things. You need to discern those things and not be embarrassed to say, I stand against those particular groups that have that particular dark uh, um, agenda. And so the world, as I've said a a number of times recently, is permeated by the spirit of antichrist as advanced through those that are false prophets and tragically those false prophets those that are under the influence of the antichrist are both inside and out of the church remember john's description in first john 2 18 is of those that are antichrist that were present in john's day two thousand years ago they were once among us but they went out to demonstrate, to, to give proof that they really not were not originally of us. They just happened to be among us for a short time. So, we're not to uh, succumb to their message. We are to hear and obey the, the truth, and we're to, to know and we're to live with the truth that we are the victors. Okay, Ultimately, we are the victors in Christ, and we need to be aware of the strategy that Satan uses to advance his his ends. And so these temptations, these snares, these traps, they're sure to come because Satan is active as the tempter and uh, he, he works within this design of the world uh, that he keeps us uh, enticed. We're, in, we're enticed to actually sin, to violate God's law. We live, now here, here's the thing that I, I think American Christians would be well to get in their brains, okay? And in their hearts and let it deeply affect their wills. We have desired what I what you could call as cruise ship Christianity. Shangri-La Christianity. We are we just want to be be at ease, we want to live and let live. We want to gain as much of the world's goods as we can while again not going to hell if we, we if we can do that then we're all good but this world because it is aligned with satan it's under his domain again that under the ultimate sovereign rule and reign of god but he is ordained that satan have his day and have his place then the world is a battlefield you are in a battle and and, we, and it's kind of twofold The world is the battlefield. And let me tell you what I found out when I became born again. And it it was really a problem for me. And I've told you this before. I became aware that my mind, my body, my, my inner being, my will, my intellect, my emotions became a battleground. Became a battleground. Now, it wasn't a battleground before I became born again. Because I was just on the side of the enemy, and the, you know, when, when you're on the enemy's side and you're behind the enemy lines, there's no conflict. But when you cross over from death into life, when you align yourself with Christ and not with Satan, you become aware, well, wait a minute, there really is a battle going on, and sometimes it takes place right in this area here: heart and will, and body and emotions so we need to be aware because satan is strategic man i I, I don't play chess because that's for smart people i'll leave the rest of that left unsaid so i don't play chess but it looks complicated to me okay and man you got to be able to think six moves ahead trust me satan is thinking six eight twelve fourteen moves ahead he is strategic we need to be aware he's powerful he's deceitful he's diabolical so we are to what be sober we're to be alert we're to be diligent discerning we're to be knowledgeable we're to understand as i said the cultural trends going on we need to be vicious as sin is personal to us and assaults us within we need to put it to death and we need to be wise as paul wrote in first corinthians ten, twelve. beware be careful Beware to those who think they stand what? Lest they fall. And how much of that we have seen in these last 20 years of those that have fallen in so many different ways. So, the third thing this morning, and it kind of sets the tone for where we want to go uh, next week. The warning, and that's a woe, so that's a big deal. Woe's a big deal. If Jesus says woe, you, you probably need to woe. If, D, if Jesus says W-O-E, you probably need to W-H-O-A. You need to ho oh! and stop for a minute, okay, and take a look. So the, there's a woe to those who are a source of temptation. And so the simple fact is that you're, you're better off dead. And he illustrates that. Uh, probably most of you are aware of what a grinding wheel is at a, at a mill or a, mill, a, a millstone. Big, large disc. Very heavy with a hole in the middle. And you would be better off to take that millstone and place it there on your shoulder, sticking your head through the hole in the middle and carrying it like this and going jumping off a high cliff. What does that mean? Certain death. You can't swim with a millstone around your neck. You would be better off to be dead. Now that's, That's powerful. Because I think the Bible affirms life is a very good thing. It's a very good gift to live. But he says, you're better off dead. You're better off dead than to be the, the source, and again, the, the verbal form of this initial word temptation, scandalos, scandalizo, to, to, to be, the, be the causative actor in bringing about the falling of these little ones. We'll talk more next week about, we're talking about children. Well, certainly I think we can kind of include children. That we want to be careful what we say and do before children we don't want to cause them to stumble and fall but my suspicion that it's a broader term that it's inclusive of all of those that are in the care of christ it is all of those that are his little flock his sheep we need to be careful how we live and what we say so that we do not become the source of stumbling for those for whom christ died and so i think that Certainly, has, he has a, a view here to, quote, quote, and I, I'm not trying to make light of it by this distinction, please. What we might call the, the common sin, the, the bad language, bad attitude, bad behavior, uh, things that you know, people, with, they saw or heard you say or do these things, you go, whoa, wait a minute, that's not, you know, that's not, that's not acceptable. I'm sure that's in view. We, uh, we have plenty of uh, exhortations to, to put those types of things of death, those things that are associated with darkness. But I think he's got a peculiar emphasis, and that's why I think we can say this thing is wired in, uh, very in, in, uh, uh, intrinsically wired in, in a very detailed way to the larger story of Luke. And and, and it's a warning Related to false teaching, uh, to false prophecy and to apostasy, to, to, to falling away. That, 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 that And remember what he's saying. Now, if you see somebody involved in the false teaching, if you see them involved in the falling away, you're to rebuke. Now you're to be quick to, to forgive if, if they say they repent, and, and you're to repeat that process over and over and over again. But be careful when you see those that have claimed to be a part of the flock drifting away from that flock. And you be you be quick that hear this. Hear me. Everybody? Be careful when you observe that people have drifted away from the flock because they're drifting away spatially in you know, time and space is probably indicative that they're drifting away spiritually. And for us to neglect and just, well, you know, that's their own business. I mean, you know, we, what could we ever say? Everybody sins, right? Everybody sins. So, you know, if if they disappear for three years and five years and seven years, well, you know, who's to judge? Pay attention. Not only could you cause one to stumble by what you say or do, seems to me you can cause one to stumble by what you don't say or do, by your silence. By your silence, you're saying, well... What they're doing is okay. So be careful. By our silence, we're in the category of it, go get the millstone. Go get the millstone. Now we're going to push that further next week. Let me just simply say, we can obviously see, be careful. Pay attention to yourselves. That's plural. I need to pay attention to me and I need to pay attention to you. You need to pay attention to you and you need to pay attention to me. Okay? Right? We have a mutual pay attention society. Alright? That appears on a coffee mug or a t-shirt somewhere around me. I'm not going to be real happy. So. Be careful. Reflect in all you say and do favorably on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak consistently in what you do and what you don't do to that gospel. Again, it seems the, the warning and, and the context might be fairly easy to miss if you don't kind of see it in the course of the entirety of Luke's gospel, the entirety of the Bible. But I think it's a fairly terse and very tense warning. I think very applicable warning for the church in America for North, North Clay Baptist Church we need to pay attention to ourselves and to one another for the good of our soul, the good of their soul, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom that shall not be shaken pray with me Father we thank you for your word, for your truth to us, for that which you say that is meant to just encourage us because we live in a discouraging world. When you tell us that we have peace with God and there is no condemnation and that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and that all things work for the good of those who love Him. We, We are thankful. We rejoice. But how we need to be sober and alert. That this diabolical enemy, Satan the serpent, the one described by Peter from firsthand experience is a roaring lion. That we must pay attention to ourselves. That there is a real and a dire, a relevant and an applicable warning to all of us as we gather here today. I pray that your truth has been heard. I pray that it has been spoke with a certain degree of organization, of clarity, of simplicity for the sake of the good of our souls and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.